Hello and welcome to Noise in Brief, PR Week UK's fortnightly podcast series where we discuss the biggest industry news stories from the past week in a bite-sized format. I'm Siobhan Holt, news editor at PR Week UK, and today on what I'm calling our Christmas podcast special, I'm joined by our reporters Evie Barrett and Eliza Radu. Welcome Evie. Hello. And welcome Eliza. Hello. This is our final edition of Noise and Brief for 2023. Uh, I encourage you to check out prweek.com forward slash UK to view all our latest roundup news stories from the 10 account moves that shook up PR in 2023 to the best PR campaigns and activations according to you, our PR Week readers. We're going to move on though. Let's start by talking about the BBC's Laura Kunzberg interview with Baroness Michelle Moan, which has hit the headlines, to say the least. In an exclusive TV interview, the Tory peer, Michelle Moan, and her husband, Doug Barrowman, well, basically they apologised for having denied that they would gain anything from government PPE contracts. In the interview, the pair admitted to being dishonest to the press about whether they would benefit from the £60 million made from selling PPE to the UK government, and that was during the COVID pandemic. I think we can say it was an in-depth interview. Barrowman said he had led the PPE provider MedPro at the time of the deal, despite not being listed on Company's House, which Laura raised with him. Also, Moan came out quite an interesting statement. She said, I don't honestly see there is a case to answer. And she said, I can't see what we've done wrong. She later added, we've only done one thing, which was to lie to the press to say we weren't involved. And she described that act as not a crime. Clearly, they were trying to set the record straight. But Eliza, what did you make of this interview? I think timing and tone are so crucial when you're conducting an interview. Unfortunately, I think the couple failed to manage this situation properly and only made it worse. Firstly, the timing of the interview just seemed a little bit inappropriate due to the cost of living crisis. There are loads of people struggling right now and hearing of the couple's profits, even though they may not have it tangibly yet, may have irked a few people. Also, many people's loved ones died during the COVID-19 pandemic, so they won't be able to sympathise with people who profited off their... Off the situation at the time, yeah, the the global pandemic, yeah. I think her tone also didn't come across as genuine. She went on to saying her life had been destroyed, but then again, people are dead. Yeah. Her approach may have caused more harm than good, and this may be a little bit nitpicky, but I think appearance really matters when it comes to these types of situations. In cases like this, what you wear and how you present yourself are so important. She didn't look humble and she didn't look apologetic, in my opinion, which just made everything she said kind of go over my head a little bit. It's like she didn't really care. Yeah, you didn't take it like she was being completely genuine in that moment she seemed too polished to be giving people a sincere apology i agree evie what did you make of it well i think she apologized for not saying straight out that they were involved and her reasoning was a lot to do with the press that she didn't want press intrusion for her family she seemed to sort of demonize the press a little bit and Mm. sort of use that as an excuse and she probably hoped people would empathize with her on a human level for that saying that she was doing it for the good of her family which i think maybe worked for some people but on the whole when you're looking at the context of 60 million pounds i don't think it's really justifiable and that's what most people will focus on eliza you mentioned the timing and i saw a tweet from Sarah Waddington who's obviously works in the PR industry and she said that she thinks they were advised to get ahead of the story and that's why they did it now but she rightly pointed out that they must not have factored in trust and corruption and making money out of people dying which is again a much bigger factor I think. I agree. And I think as well, when she kept saying that there wasn't a problem with lying to the press, I was surprised then that she'd gone for that. If she wanted to not have the press intrusion, then maybe a no comment Mm. would have been stronger. But instead, as she admitted, she'd lied. So I found that an interesting angle that it wasn't a no comment response because that could have been an option. 
They've also sent letters, cease and desist letters, I should say, to the press, threatening them with defamation and libel, which obviously is not going to enamour them at all. They were sent quite a while ago, but they've come to light recently. And then we've also had the PP Medpro funded documentary, and I say documentary in inverted commas, which was put in their side across. And experts that were quoted in it felt that they'd been duped. And this was released in the past few weeks, so it's part of a larger comm strategy from them. Obviously, this isn't the only car crash interview in 2023. There's been a fair few of uncomfortable media interviews. Evie, if you had to pick one, which would you opt for? I noticed the interview uh, that Cliff Richard did on this morning where he essentially said that, obviously a long time ago, but when Elvis Presley was still alive, he got given the chance to meet him and he chose not to because he didn't want to have a photo with him because Elvis had put on weight and he didn't want that picture being on his fridge. People obviously thought this was an inappropriate comment and accused him of fat shaming. So yeah, it got quite a lot of attention. I think Alison Hammond diffused the tension a bit by joking, oh, is that why you don't want me at your house? Um, So she obviously wanted to address it Mm. being on live tv i think that's the only way you can really deal with it is to sort of make a joke of it and kind of point out that it's not okay what makes that worse to me in a way is that he apparently told the same story on loose women in 2022 and was criticized then too but obviously hasn't learned from it it. and it didn't seem to register it with him either when it was during the interview i could see that on his face i was like is he gonna realize here what he's actually said eliza what about you what was any stood out for you back in march hugh grant was doing an interview well i can't really call it an interview (laughs) hugh grant spoke to model ashley graham on the red carpet before the oscars before the ceremony hugh was stopped by ashley and she asked him What are your favourite things about the Oscars? He just didn't look like he wanted to be there. He gave a very monosyllabic answer and appeared quite frankly bored. But some have called Hugh Grant grumpy and rude, but the Grant apologist in me didn't see it as a rude encounter. Like, it was awkward, but I don't think he was being rude. If you look at his interviews in the past, he's pretty much got that character. And my thing is, don't conflate an actor with the characters they play. Mm. He's not the guy in Love Actually. He's not the guy in Bridget jones he's just hugh grant (laughs) i think it's a tough one because i do have some sympathy for celebrities who are like asked a lot of the same questions over and over Mm. and obviously have to do a lot of press circuits i also think it's quite interesting there's there seems to be more of a place now for sort of purposely uncomfortable interviews i'm thinking of amelia de moldenberg of chicken shop dates in particular her interviewing style was very sort of candid and She'll ask questions that are possibly a bit uncomfortable for celebrities, but it tends to at least go beyond the usual surface level questions that they're usually asked and gives a bit more personality. Although presumably guests are kind of briefed on how it's going to work and they know that she's playing a bit of a character rather than being rude. But I think there's more to it nowadays than like the simple sort of very uh, jolly like interviews that celebrities are used to yeah definitely and i think it also changes it up doesn't it because i think like as you say i'm sure it's very boring being asked can you explain about your character in the film and did you enjoy filming you know these things now with the rise of social media maybe there's a need for it to be a bit more different and a bit more interesting so maybe that's why the comms got to change on it a bit like you say with social media now things are changing and there's kind of less of a need for these polished sort of interviews but the ones that we're talking about like on tv like with this morning and that kind of thing still follow a very traditional format so I think it's more noticeable when someone slips up on there compared to if it was on like an Instagram live or something. I think if I had to pick one from this year it was the uh, minister's hot mic moment. I think education secretary Gillian Keegan when she started swearing and didn't and was a bit 
uh, angry that she wasn't being given the credit, shall we say, for how she handled the school concrete racks crisis. We all get stressed during work. <laughs> I think someone in her position should have maybe known that the camera, if the camera's still on you, you'd still be recorded, whether you think the interview's ended or not. And even when she did came back on later to sort of apologise, she still seemed really angry. I felt, <laughs> I felt like she'd not calmed down. <laughs> She still felt a bit like, uh, yeah, I'm still not getting the credit was sort of the overall message. So, yeah, what did you guys make of that one? I thought it was a completely uncomfortable um, (laughs) experience. It was. Unlike Hugh Grant, which I kind of expected. I don't expect that from a comms pro, especially when her department, her sector is at fault. What happened with the school kids and the buildings, although she had nothing to do with that. It was still her responsibility as a communicator to aspire some confidence in people and take some accountability. But it just seemed like she was pissed off. (laughs) She wanted to go home and she didn't really care. And I think when it comes to children's education, you've got to be a little bit more careful because parents are very protective of their children. So they want the best outcome for them and anything less than that just won't cut it for a mother or a father or a carer in general. I agree. What did you make, baby? Yeah, I think the same. I think MPs are held to a different standard. So she probably should have thought about what she was doing and had the media training to, like you say, know that the mic's still on and she's going to be judged for whatever she said. Well, I think that leads us nicely onto corporate PR disasters and missteps this year. Eliza, go on, give us one which stood out to you. So one famous misstep from this year that I would like to speak about is the Bud Light situation. If you remember that, you remember how both sides of the US culture wars were quite divided, the conservatives and uh, the LGBT community. With this corporate disaster, the chief executive at this time put out a statement saying that they didn't really intend to divide people and they said they were a business that brings people together. However, they didn't really answer anything and the brand isn't as, it's traditionally very conservative. So bringing in a transgender influencer like Dylan Mulvaney definitely did shock some people. It seemed like they were trying to like reinvent themselves as a more socially progressive brand than they actually were they didn't really take the steps in place to get there they just went from one end of the spectrum to the other which did come as a shock to some people because they weren't able to communicate their feelings effectively like everyone I feel like was upset Mm. didn't really depend on what side you were the statement where the chief exec tried to please dissatisfied customers it just seemed like a complete failure in my opinion and the repercussions to Mulvaney as a influencer were quite significant even though they were asked to take part in this and for the brand itself they had cultural and financial issues that really impacted their sales as it fell from 17% from that week compared to the same week in 2022. Mm. And would you say as well, do you think it's had a wider impact? Do you think it's maybe scared a few brands and a few other people in comms? I think fewer brands have spoken up this year due to this. I don't know if it's a direct link, but I have noticed around Pride and around the Israel-Hamas conflict, people don't feel the need or businesses don't want to offer a comment if they're not completely sure because you don't want people to be upset. You could also risk a lot of implications if your comms aren't correct. Mm. And then were there any others that stood out? Because that was obviously quite a key one. One that I missed at the time of the event, but have now looked back on is the Silicon Valley Bank. So essentially what happened with the bank was closely tied to mishandled PR. In March of this year, the bank issued a press release basically saying that it had an intent to raise cash. 
This, of course, triggered a lot of financial experts, journalists, and just people who use the bank in general, because it seemed like the bank weren't very sure of themselves. And during a Zoom call afterwards, journalists weren't allowed to ask questions to the CEO. However, the CEO did tell people to stay calm, which in my opinion does not inspire any sort of confidence saying stay calm to investors just kind of fuels more anxiety in my opinion. I think the biggest downfall of the Silicon Valley Bank was their inability to just effectively communicate what would happen and acknowledge that it's a multi-billion dollar loss to its investors. I think they forgot to talk about the broader context and they didn't really put matters into perspective and so those who aren't very familiar with banking terms were more likely to feel very fearful because they were unsure what was happening. Yeah, I mean, talking of banks, I'm going to jump in and say that NatWest had a pretty bad year, in my opinion. Um, They obviously had a scandal which led to their boss, Alison Rose, resigning. It started when Nigel Farage uh, announced that his bank account had been closed inexplicably. Then a follow-up from the BBC revealed that Coots, which is owned by NatWest, had closed the account because of insufficient funds. A source at the bank, which was later revealed to be Alison Rose, said that Farage's right-wing political views were not a factor but then a leaked report from NatWest's Reputational Risk Committee completely disproved this. Mm. It said that Farage's xenophobic, chauvinistic and racist views were partially to blame because they were at odds with NatWest's position as an inclusive organisation. That prompted a lot of debates about freedom of speech um, and there was outrage from people including Prime Minister Rishi Sunak who said that no one should be barred from using basic services for their political views. Rose then apologised for the deeply inappropriate comments and subsequently resigned. I mean, seeing that she's the boss of such a powerful organisation, she probably should have known better than to anonymously give false information to the press and in general to single out someone because of their views and think that that would have no repercussions. I agree. I do think it's one of the bigger stories from this year. And I, as you say, it, it really doesn't bode well for a bank to be deciding on who banks with them. Mm. And as you say, she lost a job from it. It's just a really bad, bad corporate handling. Let's move on to happier news. It is Christmas after all. So let's finish and chat about what's been our favourite campaign in the year. Eliza, let's begin with you. Which Which one did you enjoy the most? So technically, this wasn't an individual campaign, but it was a series of campaigns surrounding a movie. Okay. The movie itself, Not Oppenheimer? <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, Oppenheimer did, I feel, generate a lot of hype through the Barbie film itself <laughs> with the Oppenheimer Barbie Wars, because uh, they both launched on the same day. Well, I thought it was quite culturally significant, and the movie has now become a cult classic, whether you like it or not. Although I do understand some people have had major criticisms about representation in the movie. Mm. I did like the comm strategy behind it. I think it was really interesting to see Barbican Station turn into Barbie Can Station, which uh, TFL confirmed was a cute little name change. There were loads of snack brands like Proper Snack partnered with the Barbie movie and had some pink popcorn. I remember seeing the Airbnb campaigns, which were really cute. And there was a pink Doctor Who TARDIS just outside of Tower Bridge, which was so random. I think all of this helped generate more hype. And there were so many people talking about Barbie in the summer that you couldn't really miss it unless you were living under a rock from like makeup to like homeware. Mm. But it just seemed like they got the message out. 
it picked up pace and like you say we can't be sure that everything was sort of contracted between Mattel and Warner Brothers but it's been a beast really hasn't it the way it's picked up I will be very interested after Christmas to hear how many Barbies or merchandise they sold this year because I reckon it's going to be record breaking for the two businesses because it's just rolled and picked up pace beyond anything I can think of in a long time so yeah and then Evie what was your favorite this year what stood out to you slightly more low-key than Barbie but I don't think anything beat it really I really liked uh, some work that uh, the PHA group did for Dashwater it was a campaign to launch the new lime flavor and it was called Into the Limelight it was basically a video interview series with accidental celebrities bringing them back into the limelight so we're talking about people who had gone viral and become memes over the last few years it included it consultant guy goma who was mistaken for a tech journalist and interviewed on the bbc (laughs) and then there was also professor robert kelly whose children crashed his zoom interview with the bbc i'm sure you remember that one as well was that during the pandemic yeah so they um they brought those people on and kind of spoke to them about their journeys which i thought was quite inventive and quite a nice way to promote the product without being too on the nose it sort of had the tie-in with bringing them back into the limelight to promote lime flavor but it's not like too in your face I also liked that they added on a reactive element to this campaign by appearing outside Prince Harry's court case with the Mirror Group. They were holding a sign that said, Harry doesn't want the limelight, but we do, making the point that he famously dislikes being in the spotlight. So they were going to try and steal it from him and do him a favour, which is quite silly and pretty simple. But I thought it was quite a nice, lighthearted addition to give the campaign some more relevance and get some more eyes on it. Yeah, and it's pretty inoffensive, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, going off on that, I was a bit surprised at this year that sort of in a similar vein was the On the Beach campaign that sort of did a similar thing of while the Chanel exhibit was going on in Manchester, they put up some billboards and they put up like a fake Chanel handbag saying Mm. you could go to Turkey and get a cheaper one and also get some sun. And although it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, I still think it could have maybe caused some offence for the, you know, black market products and what that funds and things like that. So I was a bit like, I feel this one is a stronger one because it's inoffensive, but also gets you smiling and it's bringing some attention to the product. Mm. The one I enjoyed the most probably was the KFC Pick Your side which was the fast food brand where they put like litter collection and they put big ballot bins I think they called it they were placed in Southampton and Manchester and on them they had like Noel or Liam and you could put your rubbish into one of them and that was you picking a side and they had Barbie and Oppenheimer so they ran with that as well they used solar powered electronic counters to show how the people have voted and it was a campaign that was for local councils and environmental charity hubbub they were involved in it as well And it was covered really widely by the press and it was a bit of a talking point on social media. So it was just, again, a fun, lighthearted campaign that I thought got a lot of attention and for a, a really worthy cause. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's all for this week's podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, you can visit PRWeek.com where we have shortlisted the top 11 corporate PR disasters and missteps of the year and the car crash media interviews of 2023. We'll be back with Noise and Brief and our longer interview-based podcast, Beyond the Noise, in 2024. If you're hungry for more podcasts, you can check out last week's Beyond the Noise Extra podcast where we discussed the communicators of the year and asked what makes a great communicator. Thank you to Eliza and Evie for your insight. Do check out prweek.com for all the latest news and all our great events too that are coming up in 2024. Thank you for listening today and throughout this year. We wish everyone an enjoyable festive break and we will be back next year. See you then. Goodbye.